Footy and Frothies, Wednesday, August the 18th, 2021, round 22 review show. Barney, Ollie and Daggy with you. Take two of the show. How are you, boys? Uh, so, what's happening, lads? <laughs> yeah, going real good, actually. In a pretty good mood. Keen to rip a top of a few frothies and chat some dribble with you, boys. Very good. Oliver? I'm um, doing well. It looks like Barney's um, ripped the top off of something else as well because he had a haircut and he's looking nice. There's a bit of a shine coming. I might have to put a hat on or something. Freshly waxed David down there on the Zoom. That's <laughs> good. Uh, let's look back at some news. There isn't a great deal of news. So I guess player movements the main one, apart from the uh, some of the injuries of the week. Uh, Connor Watson back to the Roosters on a pay cut for two years. Apparently, a self, uh, an unagented deal, for lack of a better term. He went and made the phone calls himself and teed it up and wanted to head back to Trent Robinson to improve himself as a player. Uh, Barney, I guess it's a, a good signing and he'll fit in well at the Roosters. But uh, what do you make of it all? Yeah, exactly as you said, mate. Um, apparently, he's never had a manager, so good, good on him. He's doing his own deals. Um, probably says a little bit about the Knights if he wants to leave there for a little bit less money. Um, he obviously thinks that you know they're probably not going where he wants them to go in the next couple of years. So he's going to try and um, yeah, make a name for himself over the next year or two and bump that price up for his next contract. Yeah, well, apparently the chat is he wants to play Origin and all the rest of it, and he believes Trent Robertson's the best chance for that. Uh, Ollie, what do you make of it? I think it's a good move for Watson. And I think, yeah, there are so many players out there who sort of just want to chase, and it's completely fine. They sort of, you know, want to chase the money and sort of be the the big star uh, at a certain club or whatever. And Watson's currently in a place at Newcastle where, you know, he's fine, he's comfortable, he's stable. He, um, you know, he's one of the better players in that Newcastle Knights side and would be one of their higher paid players if he'd re-signed with them. But he's taken a punt. He's backing himself because he wants to win. He wants to be a part of a winning organisation. He wants to win premierships. He wants to play Origin. He knows at the Roosters he's not going to be one of the star players. As a matter of fact, I think he'll probably be the bench utility at the start of next season, which I think is good for the Roosters because he can play 5-8, lock, hooker. Next year, we've got Luke Keary coming back from injury. If he goes down again, Watson goes straight back in there. Verrills has had injury issues as well, so he can slot in there, and so is Victor Adley. So probably the three main injury concerns for the Roosters. Um, obviously, if they all get injured at once, then that's an issue. But if one of them gets injured, even just for a couple of weeks, uh, Watson can come in and start there. So I think it's like a, a smart move for the Roosters and good on Watson for backing himself. Yeah, probably if, as well as a bit of a, a scathing indictment on what he thinks the future of the Knights is or where his career might be heading because end of the day, I suppose, he's if you're going to play 14 anyway, he may as well play it for the potential. They're probably going to start second favourite next year, I would suggest, if not third favourite, depending how the rest of this year washes out once you see what happens. But, um, yeah, very strong premiership favourites there. A few other signing news. Moses Mumbai confirmed to the Dragons for two years uh, from next year. And then the Storm have signed uh, Limu Limu, uh, Bronson Garlic on a deal. Uh, who else have we got? Jordan Grant. And uh, there's a fourth one, and I've just forgotten who it was. Who was it? Young forward from the Knights. Yeah. It was um, Jason King. Or? Jason King. So, um, yeah, they've done what I guess they do and gone out and found four players that they could probably get for sweet fuck all, and um, they'll probably be superstars <laughs> in the next three years. So... Um, yeah, you've got to have faith in their talent scouts, I guess, Ollie. Yeah, uh, 
you know, there's, there's not too much I could really say about said players, but I'm sure I'll, um, I'll be remembering the names. I, I have heard of a couple of them, um, but I'm sure I'll be remembering the names in a couple of years. Um, one bit of news that I actually just remembered then, it was announced funnily enough by the players player agency. And it's someone who we speculated a little bit on in the past. And that's run off for Tony. He's actually off to the Chooks next year. So uh, another sort of savvy signing for the Roosters. They're a good get for some depth. Isn't it funny? They don't, yeah, obviously they're in pretty good positions anyway, but yeah, these top teams, they're not looking for another marquee. They're looking just to find savvy young players that they can probably fill a hole. We and, can't squeeze another marquee in there. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> uh, and, and there's more talk now that Crichton's deal will be more apparent in the next couple of weeks as well. The, um, yeah, okay. Void Cordner contract, I suppose, for lack of a better setup. Uh, any other takes on the signing news, Barn? I know it's just the top teams doing, as you said, what they what they need to do. They're filling their holes, and uh, there's some pretty uh, pretty key signings there. I think, especially from the Roosters, with the two that you've mentioned, there um, they they should be very good pickups for them for for depth for their team. And um, what about yourself with Moses? You're happy to see the back of him? Yeah, <laughs> he well, seems he... like God bless you. He does seem like a lovely person, and um, from all reports, he's a very uh, smart footballer. I just don't think he's found any groove. Uh, I think he's the last month when he's been playing fullback. He looks like he's trying too hard. If anything, he's try, he gets involved, but he just um, either pushes that last pass or he's um, just trying a little bit hard. Maybe relax now, and um, now his future is a bit more settled. But um, full kudos to him. But he, he came out and said that he doesn't deserve the nine hundred, and he wants it to be put to better use. So um, Griffin's making some pretty smart signings there too. I think he's picked up a few blokes that people are paying half the contracts for. So it's, yeah, um, yeah, and not much. Kind of I suppose. Depending where it all fits, but Mo, I don't know if Moses, he's probably a backup. He's basically Connor Watson at the the Dragons now, unless he unless he slots in at fullback. With probably take Lafferty Corey Norman's Coates. spot. Corey, between Norman. Corey Norman or um, one and six, he might slot in. Mm. Sloan looks like he's got some talent, so maybe six. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah. Maybe six there. Uh, but interesting to see, and he, he did say in the interview today they're going to use his money to sign uh, Brandon Smith, Harry Grant, and um, Cameron Munster. <laughs> so uh, I'm all for that as well. Uh, any other news, boys, from, from that point of view? Nah, nothing really. Cool. Uh, Injury-wise, we've got a bit to talk about. Uh, the I guess the major one, oh, the, well, the most concerning one was Andrew Fafita crushed larynx, um, which turned into bruising and had to, he ended up in an induced coma. I believe the news is better today. But um, out for the season, and I think that's potentially the end of his NRL career, Barn. Well, apparently the surgery was successful and they expect a hundred percent recovery. So um, is he off contract? It'd be interesting. Uh, next year, he's still got one more season with the Sharks. So there's a chance he may return to the field. Um, I wasn't hundred percent sure his form warranted him to be on the field at the back end of this season anyway. <laughs> so we'll, um, we'll see how he goes coming back. Um, he's, he's been a great player for the Sharks. You know, he's been someone that the, the fan base has always been around and um, he was a very destructive player a few years ago, but um, he's was, getting to the back end of his career. So There was a six-month period where he was the best forward in the game. Yeah, uh, he was. Which is probably late back into Tigers' first year at Sharks, um, somewhere mm-hmm. around when he was playing Origin and all the rest of it. Um, but, yeah, uh, his knees, bodies let him down and whether that's on top of that fitness and... Desire is always pretty, a question mark. Um, pretty scary injury, apparently. He was um he was in a lot of pain and a lot of screaming and carrying on going on, apparently. So it was pretty worrying there when it when he was rushed to hospital. But yeah, apparently all everything's all hundred percent clear now. So uh anything that old? 
Uh, well, I guess only, and it's a, a weird bit of a scoop, I guess. I, I've told you blokes before that my dad actually works with Andrew Fafita's mum, and he had a quick chat to her at work the other day, and, uh, like, he's going he's gonna to be fine, which is good. Like, that's that's the main thing, because I think a lot of people are sort of thinking with you know, an induced coma, we're getting worried, and I was interested because I knew dad had um, have a chat to her about it, but, no, it's completely fine. We'll make a 100% recovery, and I think that's the main thing. doesn't necessarily mean he'll ever return to a rugby league field, but he can have a happy and long life with no real long-lasting issues from this. Yep, I guess that's the most important thing. Obviously, it is the most important thing, not, I guess. Uh, AJ Brimson, I didn't see this coming out for the season. A fractured jaw, is it, Rolly? Uh, yeah, it, it's either fractured or broken. He, he's done something to his jaw. Um, I saw Justin Holbrook's uh, press conference that he held today about the matter. He said at least six weeks. So if the Titans make the grand final, he's a chance. <laughs> but, um, yeah, hey, a boy can dream. But um, oh, it's obviously a big loss. You're sort of just coming back into form. But silver lining, I'm glad to see uh, young Jaden Campbell get another crack in first grade. And who knows, it might be a bit of a, a spark under the Titans, get them played a bit more, attacking, get the ball out to the edges um, a bit more and hopefully kick on into the finals. Uh, Andrew McCulloch's season as well. And Jace, they've just said Jason Croker is looking at the season. Uh, I don't think he's been 100% for a while, but he... Jared. Uh, Jared, well, sorry. Yeah, you love Jason. 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 I was going to say that for a long time. Jason's been out for a few seasons. Uh, but Jared may not play again for the, the Raiders. I think he's coming up for renewal as well, and his body's on the out. So uh, form-wise, I would suggest I wouldn't be necessarily chasing him, which is a tough thing. Was that, for the, was the that his shoulder again for Jared? Yeah, apparently. No, knee this time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it's something else to the list. But he was, yeah, form and fitness probably aren't warranting from where Canberra are right now, warranting them to stick any more solid there. Uh, and I guess the other big one, it was speculation that Turbo might have been out for the remainder of season proper. Now he's been named. Uh, I've seen it go from everywhere from named and not playing to playing to fine to <laughs> not fine to Manly said it was fine and changed their story. Ollie, have you got anything new and any insight? Well, all I'm really sticking with is what Manly has said. And they put out a statement the other day and some media outlets actually continued to peddle this narrative that he had a fractured cheekbone after Manly confirmed that he did suffer a minor injury. There was swelling there and that they were going to give him every chance to play against the Raiders. I still don't think it's 100% that he'll play they're going to name him obviously anyway, um, but you know, they could rest him for this one. I mean, it wouldn't hurt for them to do so, but no one does. Des has like, he's not just going to come, come out and say, we're resting him this week. We'll find out probably about uh, two hours before kickoff on the, uh, on the pre-drink show. So make sure you stay tuned for that one. But yeah. Any thoughts, Bob? Yeah, well, apparently it's an old injury. There's a plate in there and he's, he's knocked it again. Um, Realistically, they need to win this if they if they're serious about top four. So it wouldn't surprise them if they're playing for an hour and then take him off, and then he has two weeks off leading into the finals. To be honest, um, considering they've got the Cowboys and the Dogs in the next two weeks after this one, so that might be that. That actually might be the play: try and get sixty minutes this week and wrap up a spot and then cruise through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, yeah, 
Brad Parker out for a week. Daniel Saifidi looking at about three weeks. And Tom Opacek, two weeks uh, are the other injuries. So, I heard Opacek was dropped on form, but... Uh, well, yeah, either way, he's not playing. <laughs> but they, they're suggesting he'll be a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who in Parramatta is in form. Nobody. Yeah. He was probably their best on the weekend. Exactly. Uh, and judiciary news, Tyson Gamble, two weeks. Uh, Little, McKaylee, Tolman have all taken a week. And Harawi and Naira, Madison and Radley will all need to be playing finals for you for us to see them again this year, which uh, obviously two of them will be. And we'll see about Hawira Naira. Anything, anything to report out of that, or should we get on to our reviews? Well, there's some some pretty ugly incidents in those last three that you mentioned, but no, Actually, not really. Well, yeah, let's just quickly. Obviously, I thought both of them were off straight away. I didn't have an issue with the the first uh, Hawira Naira or Madison being sent. Uh, Oli, no. what do you think? No, I've got to agree wholeheartedly. I know there was. Um, there were some people complaining about the the hit late on in the the Broncos Roosters game for one. Um, a, a lot of Brisbane fans claiming that that cost them the game really, and that it shouldn't have even been a penalty. Um, I was asked by work the other day to write an article on this, so I actually went back and i i had a I had a look at the actual play itself, and he clearly hits the face. Like, how's that not? at least a penalty. Um, yeah. In terms of on field um, indiscretions that that was sort of the big, I guess, talking point coming out of this one, but it really shouldn't have been a hit to the face as a hit to the face. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought they were both pretty bad. Madison um, probably almost, I thought her wear and Iris one was probably the worst out of the lot, to be honest. That was, um, that was real bad. Um, I know, uh, Hughes dropped a little bit, but he was <laughs> his intention was to crush him through a brick wall, and he just managed to hit him straight across the middle of the face. So that's never good. And yeah, Madison was pretty pretty rough one as well. Um, I feel a bit sorry for Radley to be honest. He was just doing his absolute best. Um, he's got to obviously he's got to dive a little bit more out in front of the player rather than directly at the player. So um, it's a hard one to sort of get your head around his loading cost him an extra week. It was probably worth two weeks, just the way that he crashed into the legs there. But yeah, he's probably going to start running and die. If he's diving out a little bit further in front of the ball rather than directly at the feet. So Yeah. Some of those roosters forwards are getting into, I don't want to say Hetherington territory, but their loading's quite, um, yeah. quite heavy now. Crichton's one of them. Obviously Radley's very heavy. Lindsay Collins yeah. didn't have the greatest record. So, you know, Obviously, you hope it's not going to play a part, but it is something that any you know, might might cost some key momentum at a time sometime next year. Let's get to. Do you have a peanut of the week, Oliver? I do have a peanut of the week. So it is from an article that I've written during the week uh, for Everything Rugby League on the Eels possibly moving on from Brad Arthur. Now there was a, a comment on the post from someone suggesting that maybe Bennett should take over or a Shane Flanagan. Look, I think those two would be the the two main candidates if the Eels were to announce tomorrow, hypothetically, that they're parting ways with Arthur at the end of the season. And someone replied to said comment with, the game has passed Bennett by and Flanagan could well be as good, but I wouldn't think he's better than Brad Arthur. And if so, not enough to sack a bloke to chase him. And the person's just responded... They've both won competitions and Brad Arthur hasn't. Need we say uh, more? 
<laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't know how you can say Bennett's bastard. <laughs> yeah, no. It, Bennett, uh, yeah, you've still got to say he's in the top three coaches in the comp. And Flanagan's might take a little bit of time to get his feet back under the table, but he's going to be just as good as most of them, I would imagine. I, I couldn't imagine him not having a job somewhere uh, at the start of next season. And I think no. his media stuff's probably almost helped his um, public image, in a way. So we'll see how that all washes out. Let's get into our review, though. Storm, uh, 26, uh, scraped over the Raiders, 16. Uh, what did the stats say, Barn? And you can lead us off with your thoughts. Sure. We had um, three tries apiece, three out of three conversions for the Storm, two out of three for Canberra, four out of four penalty attempts for the Storm, 82% completion played 78%, 32 sets out of 39 played 28 out of 36, four line breaks to two, 38 tackle busts to 35, 13 offloads to eight, two forced dropouts to one, uh, zero 40 20s, 289 tackles played 327, Two ruck infringements each, two inside the 10 by the Raiders, seven penalties conceded by both teams, seven errors played eight, and there was a send-off. Uh, Kafusi made 35 tackles, Hodgson with 45. And did I do the metres? Doesn't look like I did the metres. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, here we go. Metres. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves while I bring them in. No, we had Welsh with 166, Rapana with 178. I did. I just put them on, on the next line. <laughs> Um, Jesse Bromwich, Cheese and Kafusi all missed five tackles uh, and Tappany and Young missed five as well uh, Simonson with 106 Supercoach points Cheese with 82 and Iremia with 72 um, I thought this was a strong effort from the Raiders to be honest um, it's probably their best effort in the last six weeks and in the last six weeks their effort's been night and day from what they've been putting out before that I don't know what um, what switch has been inflicted in the Raiders in the last six weeks. Well, but they've, they um, had two flat. They've at least put in effort. Uh, I'd say I'd say four of the last six. Yeah, yeah, but they've um, their effort's been a lot more willing than what it was before. Um, yeah, six weeks ago, um, Storm were pushed, but I, I thought they always seemed pretty comfortable. Um, even when the Raiders were were launching at them, they they seemed to have more more than enough in the bag and. You know, if if they needed another gear, they would they would have found another gear to put them away. Uh, Iremia had a pretty tough night for the for the storm. <laughs> he um he was the direct reason that the Raiders scored their three tries. Twice he was too far infield, and they got on the outside of him. And the last one, he just didn't contest a bomb that bounced straight to a Raider, and they scored on his corner again. So probably a bit of a learning curve for him. He's had a pretty good career to date, but yeah, it was a pretty tough night for the young fella. In this one, he's got a nice try though, um, which was yeah, which was good for him. But his attack's been good for the last well, month, I think. But uh, yeah, no. he, he may well have that. That might just uh, offer up Nico his spot. I would suggest in the next uh, few weeks. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So it's um, thought the storm won the middle. Uh, the storm's forwards were a fraction better and shaded than the Raiders, but um. Yeah, they, uh, their attack was a bit disjointed too. It seemed to break down a few times with Munster sort of losing his way a little bit and same with Hughes, that the halves seemed to get lost a little bit. I don't know if they were rushing their attack or um, what it was, but when they seemed to slow down a little bit, they did seem a little a lot better in their attacking structure. So um, yeah, <laughs> other than that, the Raiders' best, probably Whiten and Simmonson. And Rapana was good enough again at fullback. He's um, maybe making a claim to stay there, but... 
obviously got a few people coming back at the start of next year. So be interesting to see what they do there. Cheese and Munster. Well, Cheese, Munster, Hines and Grant were easily Melbourne's best. Um, I thought Cheese was the probably the best player on the field. but Which isn't bad, him. given his... He probably spent 15 minutes lying on his back. He got, he got nutted <laughs> he early. Then he had a... No, he got, he got knocked out early. Then he was nutted uh, about 10 minutes before half-time and rolled around on the ground for a while. Then he was holding his shoulder for half of it. Doesn't mind carrying on the old Cheese. <laughs> but he was good. Uh it was Jack White's best game of the year. Best game yeah. since semi-final time. He was directly responsible for all of Canberra's good stuff. Uh, he was throw, he was using the ball before the line. We talked a little bit about he plays too flat, but he was those two passes for tries were um, as good as any five eight in the comp. He was his running game. He, he chose when to pass early instead of sort of thinking when to run and not pass. So uh, that was good. If that's how he's going to play, he probably deserves to be a five eight. So. Uh, good signs. Uh, I enjoyed Jared Croker's brief attempts. Jason Croker, whichever Croker it is, brief attempts Jared. to uh, <laughs> not tackle. There was, the, I think, the first two Raiders uh, Melbourne attacking plays. One went straight over the top of him, and then the next one he just stood and watched as Nico went straight past him. Uh, and they just, I think, someone made a cover tackle to, to which didn't directly cost him points. But uh, he was very, very exposed on that edge, and uh, I. I couldn't see him playing NRL footy again, to be honest, if he's not playing this year. So that's a concern for him. He covered the middle quite well. Harry Grant was fantastic again. Uh, just held up to cost me my disaster class in this game. Uh, <laughs> but good to see him back. And he will probably get 80 minutes under his belt this week with cheese out. So all good signs. Oliver, what do you take? Uh, well, it was just a bit of a weird game for me, especially as someone who loves watching Melbourne play football and, you never really see Melbourne sort of stop playing after 20 minutes of football or stop kicking on. And it, it, look, credit goes to Canberra as well. But yeah, usually most most teams, when Melbourne score three tries within the first 20 minutes, they kick on and continue that trend for the rest of the game and you're not going to be able to catch them, whereas Canberra nearly did. Um, I like the decision as well late in the game to when, when they'll get in the penalties to obviously go for penalty goal. We see it as a bit of a no-brainer. Obviously, you're up by 60 close, but I genuinely don't think half the teams in the competition would probably... Uh, most would, but I could see a couple of teams when you six up getting that penalty, just trying to go for the, the four-pointer to try take and... Um, when they're two down. No, well, that's true. So that's a perfect example, but yeah, um, sort of going to... They, they want to cement that win, I guess you could say, with a try. And to do it again, just sort of slow the game right down at the end and cement that victory. They got it done in the end. It's interesting. I saw after the game, um, Cam Munster came out and said, oh, a loss probably would have done us a bit of good or saying, oh, if we lose a game before the finals, that might help, which I thought was a bit odd because uh, you're saying that you want to try and throw one game because you think it's going to benefit the team or something. He's obviously not going to do that, and I can understand where he's coming from. But, yeah, but um, this is probably about as close to a loss, if not that Cowboys game, that Melbourne are going to come uh, close to until at least the grand final, maybe. Well, yeah, they're resting guys this week, but uh, they're still going to have... Papenhausen needs footy now, so he's going to play every every game. Harry Grant probably... Uh, he's fresh enough to play every game. Cam Munster's missed enough footy, and Hughes is probably going to miss a few weeks, I'd suggest, off that hit, um, or at least be taken care of, and they can play Nico there. So uh, <clears throat> they'll rotate well enough to be fresh, I'd say, for round one of the finals. 
Yeah, well, if I'm Melbourne, personally, I'd li- like to see them rest the entire starting 17 this weekend. Um, and then they can all come back next week and be so, fit and fresh and, and ready to go for finals. Yeah. Okay. How good would that be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to say 20, but... <laughs> Hey, we, only beat, we would have beaten them earlier this year if Philip Sammy and, and Brian Kelly didn't have a shocker right at the end. Just uh, As you mentioned with the penalty goals, I think that was a directive, obviously, from the coach. I think they did. As I mentioned, I thought they were playing a bit for any good times, which uh, caused their attack to sort of fall apart. So I think that was directly done to slow them down and make them think about what they're doing. But, um, yeah. Isn't it funny because they do get into those phases like that where when they play their worst, they get real frantic and start... Yeah, well, because um, Canberra keep, kept upping the tempo and Canberra were playing at a really good tempo in parts of this game and the Storm seemed to want to be one-up them, you know what I mean? Rather than just sort of match them and get through, they wanted to be they wanted to play even faster. And it seems to, yeah. But how, how many times have we said it where they've had that weird 20 minutes of footy and all we've said is Bellamy's just going to grab them and knock their heads together at half-time and they just <laughs> run fucking straight through the middle. Yep. And they usually straighten back up, but they do have it in them and I would imagine they... They're probably not going to play that in a final, but it, that is probably the little Achilles heel if you can exploit that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually, it's either usually what straightens them up, and it's good to see it back. We talked about it last week is the uh, the one-two dummy half punch. The, they just get them straight going. That gets yeah. them going straight, and then they and now Nico's almost three. Nico was playing as a third there for a while, so um, yeah, they'll be fine. Three points, cheese. Uh, I, I'm guessing you're suggesting there, Barney. I'm happy to get yeah, two three to white cheese. And... I had two for Munster. I actually gave Hudson Young the one. Um, okay. He was busting tackles or not. I think he had ten tackle busts just on his own. Um, he was by far their most damaging forward with the ball in hand. So, I, I'm I'll push up for a point, at least a point for White, and if we're giving one to Canberra, I'm, I think I'm going to stick with White as well. Clearly, it's first game of the year. One point, we go one point, White, or two points? One point. Beautiful. Get that GT. Let's move on to the Friday night games, which kicked off with, as my app refreshes. Oh, that's right. The Roosters 21 defeating, uh, where are we here? Roosters 21 beating. Do you mean the the Dragons Panthers? I tried to forget that. (laughs) 34-16 Panthers over Dragons Barn. Three tries to six, two out of three conversions, played for five out of six, 80% completion for the Dragons, 71 for Penrith. 35 out of 44 sets, played 30 out of 42. Dragons actually had 115 post-contact metres more than Penrith did in this game. Five line breaks apiece, 33 tackle busts to the Dragons, 35 to Penrith, 11 offloads to six, one force dropout to two, 323 tackles by the Dragons, played 364 for Penrith. Four ruck infringements for both teams, one inside the 10 by Penrith. One penalty conceded by the Dragons, three conceded by Penrith. Nine errors to 14, and a sin bin to Penrith. Uh, Jack DeBellin with 49 tackles, Kenny with 56, Ravalawa with 231 metres, and Edwards with 229. Uh, Blake Laurie missed six tackles. He's been missing quite a few recently. Uh, Clune missed five. Kenny missed six but made 56, so that's um, that's about the worst for Penrith. Oh, Dylan Edwards missed four and made five tackles. So Edwards had 96 supercoach points, Ravalawa with 83, and Cleary with 82. Ollie, what'd you make of this? Uh, the chin's back. That's one of the big things. Uh, you know, we, I've, we've spoken about how Penrith's been lacking a lot of game control, et cetera, when he's not been there, but... The biggest thing I want to take from Cleary's return, we were talking about with the shoulder injury, uh, he, he might be wearing a bit of a, 
um, a bit of a dinner suit for the rest of the season. We might not see that same defensive output from him. 22 tackles, miss none of them. I thought that was at least a, returning from a shoulder injury, um, a solid sort of output there from Cleary. Um, but yeah, there's still that sort of, they're getting it done. They obviously got the job done well against the Dragons, but they are, there's still those little bit of cracks there that they've still got to, they still got to fix up. I thought um, for one, Josh McGuire actually had a, a decent game. He, he sort of, he must've been fired up playing against Penrith or something, but yeah, that, that, that was the main thing I really noticed. I don't think it was the best on field or anything, but uh, yeah, just about his best game of the season, I'd say. Yeah, it would have been close to it. Um, Development was pretty good as well. But um, I thought Penrith were on the back foot for the first 15, 20 minutes of this game. I thought the Dragons come out flying and they were actually clearly the better team early in this one. Um, it actually took the Naden intercept and then Ravalara's first try to actually get Penrith to kick into gear. Um, as soon as Dragon scored, you could see there was the, there was a change in attitude from Penrith, and they they started to put their shoulder to the wheel, and they started running a lot harder through the middle. And um, as you mentioned, Cleary with the field position, that that's basically all Penrith did for the rest of the night was just choke them to death with field position. They got them down their end, played the football down in the Dragons' end, made the Dragons work extremely hard coming off their line. Um, the one big thing that I took out of Cleary's return is just the way that that backline structures. It's completely different to the way they play when he's there compared to when he's not. They they play so much deeper. The outside backs just seem to run so much harder. They get the ball earlier. They're further away from the defence. They've just got so much more time to do everything. Um, I don't know why they don't set up with the same structure without him because surely you can pass back just as far as Cleary does. You know what I mean? But He's probably shouting yeah, at him um, is, is the main difference. Yeah, quite possibly. He's probably telling them to get that bit deeper and that bit wider. And um, it, it, it released Luai. You could see Luai played with a lot more freedom. He was doing a lot more dancing, a lot more passing. And Burton was yeah, clearly he's in an absolute purple patch at the moment. He was, I thought, easily the best on the ground. Um, it, when he goes and gets half a gap, they just don't get anywhere near him. Like if, Penrith, just, <laughs> if Penrith had their time over or his contract was up, say, now rather than this time last year. Would you almost chase him over a Crichton to, to stay as a centre? Yeah. Like, you'd be More throwing his money at him and trying to get him to stay and be you a world-class... You get cover for a half as well. He could play half, I mean? but he could play he could play Origin as a centre. Oh, no yeah. doubt. Uh, I know mm-hmm. there's two pretty good ones in front of him right now, but he's an Origin-class centre. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if they had their time over, they'd almost be looking towards that. Um, Panthers' edge got broken a couple of times in the same sort of position. Um, it was it seemed to be uh, I think it was Kenny and Martin in between. Sort of those two fellas seemed to get broken there a couple of times where the Dragons were clearly running at at that edge with Crichton and Martin and Kickow and Naden made a few errors, but um, he played quite well considering he hasn't played a lot of football this year. In attack, he's dynamic, as you can see, but he does have a defensive issue, <laughs> defensive issue and arrow in him every now and then. But um, Ravalawa, as we mentioned, Jack DeBellin were good. Bird and Norman were okay, but um, the rest of them, their bench was better than their starting forward pack. The Dragons bench actually played better than the starting pack for the Dragons. And... Um, yeah, Burton, Cleary, Edwards, Edwards starting to get that buzz about him again, and he just seems to be getting himself in the right position, and um, he's linking up well. 
Yo was tremendous again. He also adds another layer to that ball playing when they when they do hit that back line. Um, Kenny and Sorensen, Sorensen, <laughs> the last couple of weeks, it's getting back to some of his better form that he was in when when he was running around for Cronulla when they were um, winning most of their games. So, but yeah, I, I thought Penrith were good. It just took them a while to get into it. So they just don't. To me, the last two months, I know I've been quite critical, and they're getting they're, they're in getting back to somewhere near there, but they don't just don't feel like they have that uh, crispness of the top that I think Souths and Melbourne have now. Uh, or the, mm-hmm. the, I think they've lost that aura is probably the best way to it was As to I mentioned, it. just the, the way the backline structure was a bit better. There's signs there. Give Cleary a couple of weeks before, I reckon, before you yeah, that's true. start and writing them off. It, it, I'm not writing them off, but I, I don't <laughs> really I also, you cannot underestimate how important Fisher Harris is to this team. Uh, yeah. He'll make a massive difference, and the more I think about it, Tavita Pengo might be the most important aspect to this team coming in in a finals campaign. Just another big body that's going to give him another offload and and that bit of um, size through the middle where they have got a little bit owned without Fish Harris there at times. They they desperately need Toe back too. He'd make yeah. a massive difference yeah. to this team, and especially with that go forward. When you're taking 400, as we said, <laughs> when you take 450 meters out of a team, you got to find it somewhere. Um, what are you on three, two, one? Burton Edwards. Yeah, I had Burton for three. I had Cleary for two, and I had Edwards for the one. Sounds good to me. Oh. Yep. Yep. Now let's get to twenty-one twenty. The Roosters and Brisbane on the Friday night. The lead changed what three times in the last minute and a half? Ten, um, <laughs> Ten seconds. Yeah. What? What are the stats, Saber? It's three tries apiece, three out of three conversions for both teams, and a penalty goal um, from both teams out of one attempt. Uh, Broncos missed their field goal, and the Roosters kicked theirs. 83% completion for the Broncos, 70% for the Roosters. 33 out of 40 sets played 30 out of 43. Three line breaks to four. 32 tackle busts by the Broncos, 35 by the Roosters. Five offloads to six. Two forced dropouts by the Roosters. 324 tackles played 350. One ruck infringement to two. Uh, one inside the 10 by the Roosters, 70, seven penalties conceded to six, 10 errors to 16. Alex Glenn with 37 tackles, Barrels with 42, Corey Oates with 159 metres and Teddy with 271. Gamble missed six, Kelly and Ricky both missed five tackles. Satili missed six and is in a bad patch of form at the moment. Walker missed four, Tedesco with 99 sub gauge points. Liu with 86, Hass and Takiao with 84. Yeah, good Good to see Takiao back and playing. Uh, he looks to be over that rib injury. What do we make of this game? I, um, I thought it was a terrific game of football. I enjoyed it, but... Um, yeah, obviously there was a bit of... A uh, lot of time there was lacking execution, but I just... Yeah, I thought it was a terrific game of footy. I thought um, Broncos were really strong and probably were unlucky to get beaten, uh, to be honest. It was just a tough, gritty, up-tempo game of footy. Like... Um, it was just, just a, an absolute scrap from start to finish. They both absolutely tore in, in, into each other. I thought the battle between the two front rowers for me, the team was probably the highlight of the night. You had Haas and Flegler, Flegler who both had terrific games up against um, Liu and Takiyahu, who both who led the way for the Roosters, and they just tore. They both, both of those two from each team just tore in all night. Um, scored tries, set up tries. They were, <laughs> they were tremendous. I thought they were probably four of the better players on the field, to be honest. Ollie? Yeah, well, it's the first time as a Titans fan I've gotten a little bit excited over Isaac Liu, obviously coming to the club next year. We still don't need him, but <laughs> it like it, it 
good to see. And he, he's obviously always been a good player, but um, putting his hand up to put that, put in that extra bit of effort in this game. But yeah, I don't want to say it was a weird game because I agree it was a good game. I just don't think we were expecting it. Uh, even though Brisbane beat the Roosters early this year, we're probably expecting the Roosters to win by a bit. But yeah, an entertaining game. And I, I just have that little feeling that Brisbane, they're not going to go on a run or anything, but I can't see them getting flogged in a game for the rest of the season at the very least, for example. Um, so... Who are they? Who have they yeah. got for the rest of the year? I know they've got Cronulla not this week, the next week, because I've actually because I've gone through the ladder predictor and I think I've tipped them for an upset in that one. Sorry, Barney, but um, Newcastle Sharks and Warriors they can win all of those actually. Um, if they play like this, they'll win all of those. But we've said that last time they played like this. So one thing that was weird in this game was that the Broncos halves were so much better than the Roosters halves, mm. and um, the Roosters outside backs were. You know, better like the outside backs for the Broncos. If they were a fraction better, they probably would have won this by a try or two. They um they did. I thought their Broncos outside backs went missing, and their forwards and their halves kept them in it. To be honest, but well, we've said um, that before as well. <laughs> yeah, they've got a few issues in the outside backs. They probably need one or two uh, added to their roster by the end of the year. But um, I expected the Roosters halves to be good and they realistically they weren't. Um, Drew Hutchinson reminded everyone of why he hasn't played a lot of first grade for yeah. his um, entire career, to be honest. I thought he had a very poor game and um, Walker just couldn't seem to, um, he didn't, he just seemed to be throwing and hoping and kicking and hoping rather than, you know, setting up for, for anything to be done. So as Ollie mentioned earlier, the scrappy finish to the game, um, I don't think, I know he was hit with a forearm across the face, but I don't think if he drops the ball, it's a penalty. I think it's play on if he doesn't drop the yeah. ball and he just gets tackled to the ground. So I can sort of understand what they're talking about there. You had um, Radley, as we already mentioned, diving at the feet, but um, either team could have won it, should have won it. Um, both teams at, at different times could have blown the other team away it, and they just, just didn't execute, so. Uh, good to see Sam Verrills getting a decent footy under his belt after a while. He, I thought he had a couple of nice touches. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I guess you take Tedesco out of the Roosters, they probably do lose anyway. They probably do lose. Yeah, by, more than likely. Lose by 10. So you've covered most of it. Um, sounds like you're going uh, front rowers for your 3 two ones. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm giving Teddy three. Because, mm. as you mentioned, if he wasn't on the field... They don't win. Um, they probably don't get close to winning. And then I had Haas and either Liu or Takiyaho for the one. Ollie? Oh, I'm, I, this I'm, is a tough pick. I'm a little bit of a Takiyaho man, so maybe I'm biased. You're probably <laughs> you know a little what? bit of a Liu man. No, well, you know what? I love a bit of Siwa, and we haven't seen a good bit of Siwa <laughs> all year thus far. So we got to give it to the Siwa. All right. Siwa later. Uh, we get to the Saturday afternoon where uh, we – what did we see here? Sorry. There we go. Uh, we kicked off with the Rabbitohs, 36 over the Titans, 6. Barney, you can do the stats, and then Ollie can give his completely unbiased and professional thoughts. It's a bloodbath, this one. Six tries to one, four out of six conversions, played one out of one, two out of two penalties for Souths, and they missed the two-point field goal because Reynolds was just fucking around again, as he does. 79% completion played 76, 34 yeah, the only one he, 43 anyway. sets. Yeah, you'd like how the only one he's ever kicked is against us. <laughs> he always has a go, though. As soon as he he's does, in position he and it's getting close, he has a crack. 
31 out of 41 for the Titans. 160 post-contact metres extra for Souths. Eight line breaks to six. 33 tackle busts to 25. 10 offloads to four. Two force dropouts for both teams. 315 tackles played 336. Four ruck infringements to two. Four inside the 10s by Souths and one by the Titans. Uh, Herbert made nine tackles, missed five. Mazu made two and missed four. Uh, Milne missed five tackles and Rain missed four tackles. Anyway, Walker with 121 super coach points, Trell with 115 and Kelly with 99. I'm not going to be too upset here because they were versing Souths. They were going to get flogged. They're going to get flogged next week. It's okay. Probably, if we were in probably a bit of a worse position heading into this one, i.e. we sort of have to win to make the finals, I would have been a bit mad about the effort. But um, we're going to take these couple floggings on the chin and hopefully uh, come out better for it. Uh, The one thing I will say, though... um, this is the first week where the Fafida experiment off the bench, in my opinions, failed. He did not have a great impact and not the best game. But again, as well, I think a lot of that also comes down to um, that great South Sydney ability to be able to sort of um, contain him, if you will. But, um, yeah, the thing but is- other than that, it was just a great performance from the Rabbitohs as well. Sorry, yeah, completely unrelated matter. I just noticed Dan Payne's great book here as of yesterday is on the... Uh- on Matthew Johns's table there in the on the Fox Sports. Nice. Anyway, um, <laughs> good friend of the show Dan Payne's fantastic book, and good friend of the show Tony Loxley's about to release a new book, uh, "Very Tough Men." I've seen advanced copy; it's great. You'll be on the show hopefully the next few weeks, boys. But I shout oh, out to awesome. him. But yes, back to what you're saying. Sorry, just want to get you a plug. Oh, it's uh, my turn. <laughs> yeah, it's it's your. I've finished what I want to say about great. The, the thing about the Fafita thing, I don't mind the idea on paper. But it also, there's no point him coming on when it's 18 nil. Um, like the yeah. horse is bolded. And there are games where you probably have to slap him about a bit and go, mate, you're supposed to be the best second row in the comp. We need the least 20 minutes from you up front and we need to be in front. Or you need to go out and own Cam Murray or just hurt someone for a little bit just to to set the tone. And he cannot obviously cannot set a tone when he's sitting on the bench. So that's the downside mm. to it and, and potentially where... They missed the point with it. As I said, I don't mind it because on paper it's it works, but once the horse is bolted, uh, it's very hard to get it back. What do you think, Bar? Yeah, it works when you get on top. Um, as you mentioned, I'd like to see a coach grab him and some when they do come up against someone like Souths or even your Melbournes and just go, look, this is some of the better packs that are running around. You're not playing on an edge today. You're fucking running through the middle and you're going to do the hardest 30 minutes of your life. You're going to get a 30 minute spell and then you're coming back on for the last 20 to do it again and just get into his head. You know, sometimes you just got to get, get there and do that work. And if you're not going to do it, then, you know, <laughs> no, we're paying a shit a ton of money, but I don't want you taking all the glory against, you know, teams when we're on top, you, there's times where you have to do the hard work. So, well, the thing but, is, um, they're not going to win a comp without him doing hard work, are they? No. And if he's going to be a $1.2 million player, you want him to win your comp. Yeah. 100%. And uh, the thing is, too, I've, I've not seen the team list as of yet for the Melbourne Titans game, but he has really – the Titans aren't going to win, but if there's any chance to win, I think he's got to be on there for most of the game, and I think he's got to start um, because for Melbourne, that's, yeah, that first well, 20 he, minutes, if they get going, that, that, then that, you can't beat them. That's South's 
pack would probably be a perfect pack for someone to tell him to do that as well because that's probably a pack he could bully he did. through the middle. He and did and this he year. We've, seen, did. It. We've so. seen it in action. Uh, but, but, yeah. There's an absolute car up in this game in the first half and it didn't get much better in the second half. Um, I enjoyed the little Falcon assist off Kulamatangi yeah. to give that. <laughs> To give uh, Reynolds his try, that was nice. The, off the hand into the face. Uh, Trell and Walker just terrorised Herbert. He'll be having nightmares for a couple of weeks, I think. Um, and that left Marzu out of position. Obviously, the bloke hasn't played a lot of football, so you could see he was starting to panic about what was going on inside him. So he got out of position a few times as well. But um, And Sexton as well. But the, what, what can you... Everyone says, what do you do when that left-hand side gets hot? Um, Burns probably cost... Souths a couple of tries, I thought. I thought he ran it a couple of times when he should have passed it, and he passed it a couple of times when yeah. he should have ran it, and probably led to two or three tries um, that, that went he down. Actually, so but he did actually play that badly. He just No, no, uh, he did play quite decisions. well, yeah. There was just a couple of bad decisions there that um, they could have scored more points from. Souths could have won by more. Uh, I'm surprised Titans scored a point, to be honest. They didn't look like scoring no. a point for the majority of the game. Um the, the left-hand side of the Titans is pretty good. Kelly and Corey Thompson, um, the, they did make some inroads down that side. But uh, Mo, and, Mo, Mitch Rain and Furmore were decent. They did their jobs, but not many of the rest of them did their job, to be honest. Um, Peachy added a little bit of a spark when he came on. But, but And this is the thing about the Titans, um, and especially when you're trying to take on a, a, a team like this and you want to set a tone, like, God bless uh, Bo Furmore. He had a great game last week. He's got some nice touches, but he's not... David Feeder, and he's not in the top. What? Hey, he's not running over top 30, of blokes. He's not front row, uh, blokes. second rowers yeah. in the comp. Uh, and Ken Proctor's okay as well. They're just two sort of tradesmen that are okay, yeah. and they're not going to set any tone for you. Uh, and, and that Tino's Tino's like a big tradesman. He's he's not either. Like he's not. He has his shots and he has his runs, but he's not going to set a tone. He's, Occasionally, he can be destructive, but majority of the time, he just does a lot of lot yeah. of tough work. Yeah, and the, and Mo Mo is that guy, the line bender, but um, he probably now is trying to more than set himself to play sixty five minutes as well. Yeah, he needs a bit of help. So needs another one with him. Can't do it all yeah. himself. So there's yeah. all that. But um, I do love Latrell, and um, he's obviously since Origin decided that. Well, hey, I may as well play some footy now. So he's, <laughs> he's been last two weeks. He's been very involved. He does stuff that uh, I. Very much enjoy and um, just strong ability to take on three blokes close to line, ability to take on four blokes and offload, stuff like that. Big offloads, just, yeah. Um, pretty to watch. So they're, they're the obviously three and two. Which way do you want to go with them? I thought Cook was pretty strong as well. So yeah. I went, um, I thought Trell was the better, the best player on the ground, to be honest. Yeah. I thought um, Walker got a lot of, um, you know, a lot of points for finishing plays, but I think. Uh, Trell did a lot on his own. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he was no, the cause of of why I think he set up. He scored a try, set up a try, and it was off his own bat. Whereas Walker was just sort of the last pass man. Whereas yeah. you know it was set up by good good fast ball from his inside with Reynolds and Cook and, and one of that them, kind of stuff. Uh, so. And one of them was just the last pass on the Trell putting him. Yeah, that's right. Well. So yeah, I had the Trell with three points. I had Walker with two, and I gave one to Cook. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'm not necessarily worth a point, but geez, Cameron Murray's very good. I want to say that again, and him being back is massive for him. I love um, his defence. Um, he can get up top and wrestle, but when he cuts blokes down, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I just love the way he comes across, hits a bloke around the hips, and he drops them within, you know, straight away. And he makes a habit of doing it out of some of the best ball runners in the game too. So, Yeah, so uh, very enjoyable. And are they legit number two now for you? 
playoffs? Yeah, they'd be they'd be close. Um, I'd still if Penrith get back to where they, you know, if give Penrith three weeks, I'd, I'd still wouldn't be surprised. I'd probably still put Penrith in front of them if they can pick up their their go forward and um, that that slickness comes back to their back line. But they're definitely yeah second or third, and yeah, it's it's, it's the forward. You've got South Manly. South Manly, Storm and Penrith. I can't see anybody else winning it or no, no. even getting close at the end of the day. But um, so. I'd written South off and was quite happy too. And now I have swung around to the thinking that uh, they might have the game where they can, if if they get that, you know, that one upper thing we're talking about, Melbourne. They definitely have to match it in the middle. Yeah, that's but that's been. They're not going to blow anyone away in the middle. No. But yeah, but if they get they that, can blow if they someone get away on the edges. Silly Melbourne or, or expansive <laughs> Melbourne, uh, yep. which I'm sure Bellamy won't come into a game prepared for, or won't want them tra- training for. But if they get that ugly Melbourne, they could put twenty on Melbourne in ten minutes and end. Yeah, even the them. best defensive teams in the comp, they can still score twenty to thirty points, and that's enough to win if you defend well enough. So and that's a th- and that's a. The danger is uh, your Latrell or your Tommy in a grand final having 10 yeah. minutes where he, he puts on 12 they points and that's the game. Yeah, score two tries and set one up or yeah. set two up and yeah, score one. Just bust yeah. an edge and, uh, and uh, yeah, the, the horse is bolted. Recruiting. 5.30 Saturday saw the Tigers 24 defeat the Cowboys 16 in a Less, not for the first time this year, less than inspiring game from the Tigers. <laughs> um, what did the stats say, Barn? Yeah, three tries to four, two out of three conversions, played four out of four for the Tigers, and a missed penalty con- uh, penalty attempt from the Cowboys. 86% completion for the Cowboys, 78 by the Tigers. 37 out of 43 sets, played 32 out of 41. 120 post-contact metres extra for the Tigers, four line breaks to five, 14 tackle busts to 37, Three offloads to 16. Been throwing it around a bit, the Tigers, recently. They're One fourth dropout. I'll, I'll let you finish. Uh, go on. They're surprisingly high up in the um in the comp for offloads. Yeah, they are. They uh, don't mind them. Um, um, they were at one point leading, but I think they're now th- third, third or fourth. But yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, they've um, they've been bringing out the offloads the last few weeks. I've noticed. Uh, one fourth dropout to the Tigers. 368 tackles by the Cowboys played 338. Three ruck infringements to two, one inside the 10 to two. Four penalties conceded by the Cowboys, seven by the Tigers, six errors to 11. Robson made 47 tackles, Twile with 45. Um, can't even read my own <laughs> handwriting. Holmes, that's it, 221 metres, and Mamalo with 204. Condon missed six tackles. Uh, Drinkwater missed five. Mamalo made six, missed two, and that was the worst for the Tigers. So that's pretty good effort there. Dewey with 99 supercoach points. Stefano with 82. And Ben Hampton with 78 for the Cowboys. I thought um, Tigers were really good for their first half an hour. And then they got pretty scrappy there for 10 minutes either side of the halftime break. Um, Picked up their game again for another 15 and then absolutely switched off for the last 10 minutes of the game. I don't know. They went into cruise control and then the cruise control failed and the brakes came on and they just fucking fell apart for that last 10 minutes. I don't know what happened there. But. That was a, one of the most terrifying 10 minutes. <laughs> Drinkwater and Robson were the best players for the Cowboys easily, I thought. Um, 
Dan and McLean. Um, Jordan McLean had one of his better games for a long time. Um, yeah, I don't think I've mentioned him have a good game for a few years. So. I can't recall um, us mentioning his name since we've been doing yeah. this. And um, young Lukey had a pretty good performance uh, from the young fella. So he looks like a decent player. Um, Tigers, Tigers won this game through the middle, and they won it pretty convincingly. Um, they bashed up this Cowboys pack, which a lot of teams have done this year, but... Um, they were they were really strong. Twile, especially in defence, but also in attack. And Stefano, I've, I've been rapping him since the start of the year. <laughs> I've been saying he's going to be a good player. In the last couple of weeks, he's just broken out of his shell. He's he, um he's, now, he's starting to terrorise yeah, people. He's now probably the hot front rower in the comp. Uh, he's getting close to it. Right now, yeah. Definitely up there. Bloor probably had his best game. I think I've seen him play. Um, he's starting to hit a little bit of form. Obviously, he hasn't had a lot of football this year, but um, there's some good signs there. Both of the Tigers' halves were good. And Tommy Talau had a, quite a good game, uh, which he seems to have a good game. One out of every three or four. And Mamalo, as we mentioned, he's been pretty good since he's come to the Tigers. So adds that little bit of polish on that left-hand edge there for you guys. But and, yeah, uh, it was, I thought it was more the Tigers falling away than anything that got the Cowboys back in this game. So I was impressed with the Tigers' defence because um, I think for probably the first 20 minutes they, had, they were under the hammer. I think we only... Well, they only went down the other end twice and scored both times, and the rest was pretty much played on their line. So for a Tigers team to hold on, I know let's uh, put the KV on that, saying that the Cowboys had nothing because they didn't know what they were doing with the ball in hand. Um, even then I thought uh, when they scored just for half time, here we go. But uh, oh, as I said, Otukamanu is the, I don't say, I'm not saying like the best, but the, the uh, hot front row in the comp right now. Uh, he's burst on the scene now, living up to some expectation, and you can build a pack around him next year. Um, Bloor, like you said, it took a while for him to get Bloor into the game, but once he did, he was good. Uh, McKaylee still got dumb shit in him. Um, Wasn't he? And beyond that, they were, they'll find that the, the biggest thing with the Tigers of the last month is that they'll score points, look good, and within a set, they fuck something up. And they <laughs> didn't let us down this game. I think every time they scored, they gave the ball away. Uh, but Dewey was good again. Mamalo's been fantastic. I've been super impressed since he's been at the club. His area works great. He goes looking when they need someone to get him out of trouble. Um, in no way bludges out there, so he's been good. Uh, Ollie, what do you think of... Oh, and for the Cowboys, you take Jordan McLean out, and, uh, yeah, Lukey, they'll, it, they, did, they offered very little beyond that. They uh, Holmes was... Uh, controlled for most of it, and they don't have much other than that. Ollie, what do you think of this game? Uh, th- I think the only reason why it was close is that we did see the Tigers drop off for a bit. Um, I know I'm beating a bit of a, a dead drum, a, a dead horse, I should say, um, in saying that, but th- that's really the only reason why this game was eight points and not 28. I think that, that there's obviously concerns at the Tigers, but the Cowboys are now on the seventh longest losing streak in the NRL era, eight games in a row. They were looking like possible finals contenders before those eight losses in a row. Because the Tigers usually had no streaks. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's exactly right. And it looked like for a little while the other night that was going to happen. But, yeah, the Cowboys, I mean, I, I don't see them winning another game for the rest of the season, to be honest. They've got... It's either this week or next week. I think it's this week they've got Parramatta. And I know Parramatta have been a laughing stock, but I mean, I I can't see him being Para. It's a pressure gauge release for Para, I think, 
they can just yeah. run amok and win by 40 and restart. Yeah. Uh, I think there are deeper issues at, at this Cowboys club than just about any other club in the NRL. And it's, it, it's sort of gone under the radar because of a team like the Tigers, for example, um, they, they probably get more views in the paper, et cetera, being a Sydney based club. And of course, Brisbane, um, they're in the news all the time in Queensland because they're the, the one city team, but the media love are, it when yeah. Parramatta's not doing well and Tigers aren't doing well. Cause that's what pushes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll put it this way. Um, if the Cowboys were in Brisbane, Todd Payton might not, uh, sorry, not in Br- well, Brisbane or Sydney, Todd Payton might not have a job next year. Like that's, yeah, I honestly do not know what's going on with this club and yeah, serious concerns. That they, gotta... they weren't missing, oh, they're missing Tamalolo, but they weren't missing. No. I've missing... got a pretty rough idea of what's wrong with the Cowboys and it's their forward pack is fucking horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> You put the you take Drinkwater and Holmes or Drinkwater and Robson and swap them for the equivalent in the Cowboys and the Bulldogs team. The Bulldogs would beat that Cowboys team, and they'd probably beat them pretty comfortably. Yep. Yeah. Oh, in Fords alone, they would. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know you swap Drinkwater for Avarillo and Holmes for whoever they've got at the back of the Cowboys. They the dogs would flog them. The Cowboys pack is atrocious. I know they're trying to bring some young kids through, but. I haven't seen any of those young blokes apart from maybe Lukey that has impressed me whatsoever. So, no. Um, the other interesting thing I was thinking about today was the Jackson Hastings coming back uh, and the concerns over Luke, Luke Brooks. I'll ask you just, and you wrote an article, this is what sparked the thoughts, Ollie, for, um, for your site about Luke Brooks saying, hey, lay off a little bit. Um, I don't want to, and I'll tell you why in a sec. But just give us a gist of your your article and um, and what you actually make of Luke Brooks and where he might go next. Yeah, so the, the thing is with Luke Brooks, this isn't me trying to defend the fact that the Tigers are trying to move him on from the club. I still think that's very much the right decision and Jackson Hastings is the way to go. Um, however, I thought there is all this talk about, you know, Brooks being this big issue, I don't think everyone necessarily thinks, and I know you definitely don't think this, that he's the only problem at the club or he's the biggest problem at the club. But it, it seems there's a consensus due to we're talking about the, the media and how they like when the Tigers aren't going well. Well, they also like when a Tigers or an Eels half isn't playing well as well. And statistically, at least, I know statistics don't speak for anything. Statistically, this is one of Luke Brooks' best seasons in yeah. the NRL. And I was sort of reading that, and I do sort of remember in, in games he play. He's not crap, but he'll have sort of little periods where he does well, and then sort of drop off. But I, I don't think he's the only issue. I, I think it is the Tigers as a whole, and that big thing is is the effort, and that's what you get with a lot of sort of lower table clubs. Their biggest issue is effort, and if they put in a bit more effort, they'd be doing a lot better as a whole. And Brooks is part of that where I think at times we do need to see a bit more effort from him, but there are also other players in that team who you'd be able to think of, Daggy, who could probably be putting in that effort. And look, going forward for Brooks, um, there is room for him at an NRL club, but it's going to be on a reduced deal and I don't see him possibly starting as a 14, maybe off the bench or somewhere, but I still believe he has it in him to once he goes to another club, sort of break out and maybe break into a first grade team. He's still got it in it, but uh, well, yeah. Question for you, Barn. First, what do you, in your quite uh, fair in your assessments, most players, what do you actually make of Luke Brooks and how many other first grade teams would actually sign him as a first choice half? 
No, and not probably... take money aside, not for the eight fifty, but no, yeah, I think you'd, you'd probably find a spot in half the teams running around. To be honest, um, I reckon eight out of the sixteen, he could find a slot. I don't think he's been used correctly. I think um, he should generally just he should play more of your. Um, your I'm trying to think of a, you know who he needs like to a, become. A Brett Kamali generally sits on the back foot, kicks, and either passes long and early or just, um, you know, generally doesn't run unless there's holes in front of him and just passes and kicks early and basically stays out of the game. Um, he's The big knock on him is that he has an absolute howler in him, and that's I think that's where he gets a lot of the crap from. He can do three good things, but when he gets the ball, hit him on the chest and he just drops a cold. Yeah. Or someone just runs straight over the top of him. You know, that's what people remember. Or he that's, reads, that's or he reads a two-man overlap in the, in the eagerness to get it out there. Like just passes four meters into the forward ground. or into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard. A lot of football these days is set up on your – it's on your edges. It's a bloke who's outside your number seven. So if you don't have a good defender outside your seven, there's holes there and teams just pound it. You know, the centers and the second rowers are coming at you all day long. And, you know, as soon as there's a crack there, it just keeps coming. So you'll find the majority of teams that are down below the bottom eight don't have two strong centers or they don't have two strong back rowers. You know what I mean? It's just that position on the field and it makes a massive And that's where, and you go through, I reckon if you went through the bottom eight and lined up their pairs of edges, yeah, that would reflect very, very. It, it, like exactly what you said, I would suggest. Um, the massive thing is defence as well. And when you've got halves that, you know, the halves are smaller than anyone, so they need their best defender on his outside. And I don't think Brooks has ever had that enforcer sitting on his shoulder to help him out. Oh, and stop, you know what I mean? Early, his first year would have been Gareth Ellis. Yeah. Uh, no, he wouldn't. No, Robert Louis would have been there. Uh, but uh, maybe. Anyway. I think I think what you said earlier about this. I think he needs to reinvent himself, and even at the Tigers, this could work. Not necessarily down the road on the money, but he needs to reinvent reinvent himself as a fourteen. Uh, if I was mad, I'd be pulling him aside and saying, "Right, you're going to have half an hour tonight, uh, half dummy half, half whatever. Yeah, back up half if we need you, but become Connor Watson or Tyrone Peachy, and because he's fast, he can. He, he's, I'd actually have an issue with his defence for a, not the biggest bloke. He's he doesn't miss a ton of tackles. Uh, he's quick. He'd be in the five quickest blokes at the club um, when he gets a bit of space. So if he reinvent himself that way, I think that's his best hope, and that can lead down the road to other clubs going. Oh, hang on a minute, but he, he can ba- he'll basically become Moses and buy next year. I'd suggest. Yeah, and that's actually it's a perfect use for him if you're going to have him and Hastings at the club, because I think Hastings has to get the start. But the good thing is Hastings is an 80-minute player. He won't want to come off. So when you do bring Brooks on, all that means is that Hastings just shifts back to lock and he can be sort of that, that Hastings, ball playing lock. You've seen more of him. Hastings strikes me as a bit of a control freak now. Is that right, from the UK? He's got some mongrel in him. He's almost a better Tyson Gamble sort of player. Uh, he's more controlled than Tyson Gamble, yeah. I'd say. He does have that bit of fire in him. And look, he actually... The, he can play lock, but he doesn't play too much lock over in the UK. I, I feel like the reports over here, just to sort of strike up that bit of all, I would be well, they prefer Brooks over him and play him at, I would be at lock, but he's played a lot less lock than we think. I'll be gobsmacked if they're not yeah. signing him to play halfback. Why else would yeah. you? And the only reason they've said it otherwise is to avoid a whole year of, well, Brooks is going to be under pressure. Yeah. Um, 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dewey goes back out the centers, to be honest. And they play both. Hastings at six and Brooks at seven. If it was me, I'd be giving hey I, I Dewey has to be in six. I I'd be giving Hastings a team. I'd be saying, Here you go, it's yours and Dewey's. And Brooksy, you're now I knew Moses. Uh, and go from there and see how that works. The other one I didn't mention, who I want to mention, I was really impressed uh, with Jake Simkin. Uh, Littles, for me, felt a bit stale. Uh, he's a bit too slow to, at times, dart, and he, he's a bit slow in setting his up, whereas he had that spring in his step. He looked quite good. He has that little... He started doing that little Harry Grant-style thing where he has that half a step before he gets into the play. Which just uh, he, he had just had urgency, and he looked really good, I thought, on when he came on. I think he straightened the Tigers up. And uh, I know he's got a spruik on him, but I think he there was enough there where they can give him another chance. And he's going to get a chance this week uh, where they can give him a chance to, to cement a starting hooker role there. He plays I'll, a little bit quicker. Um, yeah, he's he services right He services as good as Littles, if maybe just a little less unreliable. But his passing's probably better, but it can get erratic at times from what we've seen from him from yeah. this year. But, um, yeah, no, he's definitely... Definitely much more up tempo hooker than um, Little is, so. which I like. Uh, three, two, ones. Um, I had Dewey with three. I gave twelve two just for these defensive effort, um, as well as his ball running, and then I had Stefano with the one point. I am happy with that. As am I. I yeah, let's just stick with that. Move on. We spent far too long on a game. I did mention I did have Brooks in there as impossible for the one, but we'll go with Stefano. You say no one cares about it, but this is why people listen to the show, to listen to the bit where we review the Tigers game. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, <laughs> because of um, you. So. <laughs> well, when I get out of those phone calls from the Tigers podcasts out there, I'm more than happy to jump on, Mads, uh, get in touch. But uh, we will get to the main event of the weekend, 56-10. to 10, The Seagulls took out their sword, put it straight through Parramatta in about 10 minutes, and the rest was history. <laughs> Pan, what did the stats say? And <laughs> Yeah, we had 10 tries for Manly and two for Parramatta, and I'm surprised they got two. Uh, eight out of 10 conversions played one out of two. 79% completion played 66, 34 out of 43 sets, and 19 completed sets out of 29 for Parramatta. 14 line breaks to one, 35 tackle busts to 13, four offloads for both teams, three forced dropouts by Manly, one by Parramatta. 246 tackles played 326, three ruck infringements to two, zero inside the 10 for both teams, five penalties conceded to seven, nine errors from Manly and 10 from Parramatta, and one send-off and one sin-bin for Parramatta. Uh, Jakey Boy made 32 tackles, Lussick with 35, Tommy made 187 metres, and... Um, what am I... Okay. My handwriting's <laughs> atrocious. <laughs> uh, Marie, oh, what's his name? Nick Corey. Nick Corey. <laughs> I've put an M in the R and yeah, I don't know. 124 meters. <laughs> Walker missed four tackles. Four and missed two, but only made seven. Opacek missed eight tackles, and Moses missed six. Garrick with 199 supercoach points. Tom with 179. And then we had eight other players before you got down to Tom Opacek from Parramatta with 49 super coach points. Manly are getting into, well, they already are there, but I, I said it many weeks ago how I love watching um, top grade Melbourne and top grade at the time Penrith and, and top mm. grade uh, East when they're all in the field. And Manly are getting, um, Manly are in that territory now. I think DC is such a maestro. 
I just uh, think he's uh, stupid to say the Queensland halfback's underrated. I just think he's fantastic. <laughs> I love that he goes looking for Saab early, whether it's uh, he, he knew that uh, those wingers will be pushing in, so he gets that ball out as quick as he can. He doesn't fuck around. Uh, he's got such a great kicking game. He's uh, uh, try assists early. That, that grubber for the first try was incredible. Uh, with the timing on it, well, when I say incredible, I'm used to the watching. Way you yeah. used to watching Luke Book Grubbers, so it was incredible. <laughs> um, that was outstanding. And then once he warms into the game, and Tommy's had 20 minutes to read what the defensive line is doing, Tommy takes over, and off we go. Um, they're fantastic. Uh, they're, they're forwards having to do a great deal in the last few weeks because they've been dominated by outside backs, which is essentially the way the game's going. I, I guess I've learned this year. Uh, and Ruben Garrick's been absolutely outstanding as well. He's really um, taken confidence. Uh, uh, we'll, be, we'll see this week if Tommy's there, but he's really taken confidence for what he's been doing. And he's now breaking his own tackles, getting himself in his own positions and, and being a key player in that team. Uh, you add to that, Florin's playing well. You add to that, Jake Turbo's back. Uh, you add to that, they've just got Siren and fit and they've got the other two forwards to come back from injuries and suspensions. They're looking pretty good. Uh their third seed for me, maybe, yeah, I'm now tossing between South and Manly for third seed, but uh, yeah, that's where I'm sitting. Uh, Ollie, what do you reckon? And then, what's the matter, Parramatta? Uh, well, I've got Manly fourth. Um, I've got I've got Souths mainly, I wouldn't say because of the, the run home now, because the Souths do have the Roosters in a couple of weeks, which I think will be a very good game, actually, but... I'm tipping them to win that game. So I think they go on to finish third. What's the matter with Parramatta? Well, one thing that's the matter, their best player for me was Maka, Makatoa, I believe it's pronounced. Yeah, that's that what I was trying to say. That's what Maka, I wrote Maka, down. Okay. So <laughs> not, <laughs> and Akari got knocked out in the first minute. Yeah. Makatoa was Ma- the leading run meters, yes. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he, he's not a young player, but he's made his debut this year. And I guess for someone who hasn't, being able to get into a, a first grade side for this long, a bit older, now was, coming in, it's funny into this eel side. There was actually some spruik about him that he's been yeah. tearing. Oh, his effort was massive. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure he was the only forward for Parramatta to run over 100 metres. Yeah, yeah, he, he was. Um, yeah, and, and this is no disrespect to him because good on him, and he's actually having a crack. But in that Parramatta Eels side, he should not by far have been the best player in this game, when you look at the talent on paper they have in that field. Uh, At least that sums it up for this game, for the club itself. I mean, it's just a... You know that um that meme where the dog's sitting in the the house that's on fire and he says everything's fine? This is fine, yeah. This is fine. That's that's Parramatta at the moment. I think forward pack was ripping the heads off people at the start of the year and now they're just getting walked over. Remember when last year I used to call Nathan Brown the biggest flat track bully in the game? (laughs) Yes, yes. Big tough guy. I think you may have said once or twice. I'll tackle him. Uh, Has has this, it's basically come back that we maybe had rose colored glasses, or I had rose colored glasses on for all this time. Is that that the case part? I don't know. Yeah, well, the runs off the back fence haven't happened for the last five or six weeks, have it? When when the chips are down and they've been looking for a forward leader, the only bloke who's really been having a crack consistently has been Madison. 
and now he's ruled himself out for the next <laughs> for the rest of the season. So Paulo's been um, so disappointed too. Even Madison hasn't been great, but at least he's been having a crack. Yeah. He's been trying to do things, trying to you know create something. But the rest of them, yeah, they've been fairly disappointing. Apart from there'd be a handful of games this year from Paulo that I've thought have been good. The rest of them have been pretty average at best. Um, I was even questioning his spot in the New South Wales team at the back end of um, the new, of the Origin series. To be honest, um, he just didn't seem to be. He's not putting out the output that they need, um, <clears throat> and they're a team that needs their forward pack to roll over the top of people for their. You know, they don't have the superstars in their backline. They've got some good backline players, but they don't have the superstars that can break open a game for you. So they need to absolutely dominate in the middle, and they're not. <laughs> Not even getting close to it. They're getting walked over in different games recently. So, yeah. Um, Talk good things now about the other team. <laughs> um, what did you say? Parramatta just got absolutely stopped. Manly's forwards weren't great, but they were far far better than Parramatta's um, forward line. And their back line was fucking kilometres and kilometres in front of Parramatta's back line. Parramatta's wingers were pretty much non-existent. They did, and you know, they, their centers missed twelve tackles between them, and their whole back line missed twenty-five tackles. I know you can say to, Tommy was carving them up and Garrick was carving them up, but there's a reason they're getting carved up. It's because they're missing tackles and they're not getting into the right shapes in defense. And, and uh, our man Dane pointed this out as well. But they've now gone through, I think, five wingers this year. They all do the same thing, so that's not a coincidence. <laughs> no, exactly. so they're, they're being coached to be up and in, I assume. You would assume so. Yeah, there's no other reason why they're consistently getting broken out. Yeah. Like, you know, there was times there where they had two men. There was two blokes standing outside the winger. The winger was that far in. There was two yeah. blokes that could have scored outside him. So, <laughs> so the Parramatta just couldn't handle the the pace and the the ball movement from Manly. Like they they the way they run the ball at with their shapes. And um, the depth on their pass at times is just clinical. Like it, it, at times when they put it together, it looks like that left-hand side from Parramatta, uh, from Souths, or that left-hand side from Penrith when they were fully clicking into gear. Like the way that they run their shapes, they just hit the bloke on the man and there's nothing, the, even the best defensive teams wouldn't be able to stop them at times. Mm. But that wasn't the case in this. this they just, Manly just ran all over Parramatta, especially in that back line was ridiculous. Um, and if you look at, as I said, there was 25 missed tackles from the back line for Manly, uh, from Parramatta. Manly only missed eight tackles for their entire starting 13 players. Yeah. So obviously that says something about what Parramatta was throwing up as well. But <laughs> to miss eight tackles out of your entire starting 13 is a massive effort for men. Um, I had Tommy with three points. I, I don't think... Garrick was good, but a lot of what Garrick did was on the back of what Tommy set up for him, I thought. So I, I had Tommy s- with three, Garrick one, and DCE with... Uh, sorry, Garrick two and DCE with one. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, I'm fine. I, I was going to say I would stump up DCE for for at least a point. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm probably okay with that one. Ollie, no disagreement there? No disagreements at all. Sporting in progress. So the other thing I want to ask you about is the reports coming out that Gutho wants a million... Uh, there's issues at the club. They're arguing over which room they sleep in. Um, some egos around, which I can sort of see, I suppose, looking at it. And I know a lot of that's probably media beat up. The thought I had the other day is, if can Parramatta win a comp 
with this sort of structure, with Gutho, captain, fullback, top player, or is it time to cut him loose and maybe look elsewhere? Barney. Oh, well, they need a couple of... They need, he needs a bit of help. They need at least one strike centre. They probably need two centres, to be honest, if they're going to play Gutherson as their, as their number one. Um, it's been quite clear ever since... Obviously, he's got a bit of head noise since this talk about his contracts come out and his, um, his form's dramatically dipped. But he was... There was a run there where, um, you know, for a good part of this year, he was one of the better players running around in the NRL. So... I can't see him getting anywhere near a million dollars, to be honest. Um, apparently, he was offered seven fifty by Parramatta, and he's knocked it back. Which, to me, that that seems pretty fair. That seems sort of, you know, he's he's definitely not the top tier fullback. So, um, if you're relying on him to be the guy who wins your comp, no, I can't see Parramatta winning a comp. Is he's your strike player? No, you know, Ollie. First of all. Um... Not not with the current situation. They do need a couple of players in there. The big worrying thing for me is in this situation, let's say Para end up caving and do um, give him a million-dollar deal. They've also got seven other first-grade starting players, I believe, who are off contract too. I believe it's something around $4 million in their cap. I know two of those players are Isaiah Papaliti, who's currently on something like 150k. He he yeah. He'll be getting... An upgrade he has to, and Maratani Kore is one of the other ones. Um, so you risk losing a lot of your stability if you do chuck this money at Gutherson. And at least what I'm hearing, the reason as to why they've been so adamant about this is because when Gutherson resigned in 2019, he wanted more, and they end up compromising at 750 which is probably about where he realistically is at now. But Sam Ayub, his manager, reportedly said to him at the time, right, we're going to take this reduced deal now, but when it comes contract time again, we want a, a big race. So I guess in Ayub and maybe Gutho's mind, it's not necessarily how good a player he is. That doesn't necessarily come, come into it. It's more for them, hey, we took a pay cut or less than we wanted last time around, so we are well and truly going to... Um, get as much money from you guys as we can now. Yeah, the thing with Gutho, it's he probably realistically could get um, 900, but you're going to have to go play for the Cowboys or something. So yeah, it's what he, he wants yeah. to do. Does he want to take a million? At, uh, unless this new club, this new club might be the, depending what's coming. Um, you hit the nail head in terms of there's, I think, five players, and Puppy is going to be in hot demand. Madison's off one of them. Paulo's one of them. Um, so mm. where that – it's a funny thing because would I be excited if Tigers announced tomorrow they've signed Clint Gutherson for 850 Probably. Does it necessarily make the Tigers any better? Maybe. Uh, just because it gives you some leadership and someone you're going to follow 25 rounds. Is, uh, is he going to win the Tigers a comp? No. Um would I be more excited about Papa He for five or Paulo for six? I'll be more excited about Mofo to Waker for six, but uh, that's a different story. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's a funny thing, and it's you know if you're just happy to accept running ninth and being the captain and getting nine hundred or a million, it's probably not going to be at Para, and maybe that's where both clubs oh. need to sit back and go. You know what? Do your best, Gutho. See ya. 
Going the funny thing is, how many blokes are out there on a million dollars a year are going to win your comp on their own, off their own bat? There's there's not many blokes out there that can win you a comp, like or even a game, off their own bat. And really, yeah, really, none of them are on a million know, dollars either. I know so. people are exactly right, and, and people are only worth the market you're paying. Uh, are people only worth what you can, what a market's going to offer you? So if you can get a million, good luck to you. I would, yeah, right now I'd say the only blokes in the game I would pay a million dollars to would be Nathan Cleary, Tommy Trevojevic, James Tedesco. Possibly DCE. Uh, Even I couldn't imagine DC getting a million at another club. Um, I mm. don't begrudge him getting it, but maybe. And, and I, I don't think... Leg- from if you want a million bucks, you want a bloke to win every game or most of them, which well, half of them at least. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Latrell's the thing is, Latrell can win your grand final or a semi final mm-hmm. or three finals. Um, but he's not going to win you. I don't think he's going to lead you a minor premiership, but he might win your premiership. So he's an interesting one. I'd want to see more of, and I don't know what he brings off the field either. But yeah, David Feeder's not going to win your comp. Um, no. Yeah, and there's a few other blokes that are around that million dollar mark that probably aren't going to win you more than maybe one or two games a year. So tough one. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll uh, we'll keep going. I don't know if we've necessarily answered anything, but it's an interesting talking <laughs> point. And get to Sunday where we saw the Warriors twenty four defeat the Bulldogs ten uh, in a bit of a bludger of a game. Barney. Yeah, another uninspiring match. This one. The stats uh, say. We, we had four tries to two, three out of four conversions for the Warriors, one out of two for the Dogs, and one out of one penalty goals for the Warriors. 76% completion played 82 for the Dogs. 32 out of 42 sets played 31 out of 38. 130 post-contact metres plus for the Warriors. Six line breaks to one. 33 tackle busts to 18. 10 offloads from both teams. One force dropout by the Dogs. Five ruck infringements by the Warriors and two by the Bulldogs. Two inside the 10 for both teams. Two penalties conceded by New Zealand, nine by Canterbury. 12 errors to nine. Curran made 42 tackles. Jackson made 58. Fanua Blake with 212 metres and Shoop with 252 metres. Iku made 13 tackles, missed three. Shoop made eight and missed six. Dory made 25 and missed four. Curran with 139 supercoach points, Jazz Tavanga with 92, and Shoop with 90. I thought the majority of players in this game were average at best, which obviously led to a pretty average game of football, really. Um, there's a few highlights coming from the best players in the game, uh, in this game, sorry, not the game. <laughs> in uh, Curran, uh, he's absolutely stamping his position as... A really strong back row in the NRL comp, um, and he led the Warriors to this victory. Uh, Aiken, Aiken as well as, he, as I said last week, he signed himself up to be <laughs> to be a back row for the rest of his career. Tavanga was um, really really good as well, linking with, combining with Karen, um, and they they were the edge in this game. Fanua Blake, he's obviously hasn't had a lot of football this year, but his last couple of weeks have been tremendous. I thought, I think he's probably one of the form front rowers in the competition. Um, young Cossie on the, out in the wing there, he was strong earlier and then sort of fell apart a bit, the poor bloke. But, um, you know, it, there's some promising signs. He's a massive unit. So good luck stopping him. If you're, a, if you're a little, one of those fast whippet wingers and he's running straight at you, that'll, that'll be fun. Um, Josh Jackson's worth, 
three blokes pay in this Bulldogs team. But fucking four of those other front rowers should give half their pay to him because fucking they're not doing the job and he's the only one that's doing it. But the dogs in dogs only points came from an intercept and from a really bad read in defense from the Warriors. Like, and then you've got fucking uh, Barrett whinging about how a decision cost them the game. Like, the only reason they got points to begin with was just absolute opportunity. They didn't create any points of their own. <laughs> Barrett needs to worry about fucking getting a game plan around this fucking team before he starts blaming referees for losing games. So. Yeah, you bring up Josh Jackson. I mean, won't he be happy that Luke Thompson's coming back next week? Oh, fucking well? he will. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if before every game, actually, they have to give each other a pep talk to actually go out and play with oh, these. Are we going to do this again? <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. It's like, come on, you've got to. Look, I, I'm going to do it, so you've got to do it. Come on. But, um, yeah, uh, Adam Fanor Blake's just been tremendous ever since he's come back. For me, overall, the Warriors' best player. Um, in this game, and we've brought him up in the past few weeks uh, as well, Sean O'Sullivan, I thought, had a, a solid Pretty effort strong. as well, yeah. again, uh, because he started out, uh, sorry, didn't start out the season when he first came into the squad sort of halfway through the year, he wasn't bringing too much to the table. And I was starting to think, okay, because there was a lot of hype around him at Brisbane. Originally, he was supposed to be the second string halfback before Tom Din, but got injured in the preseason. Um, So there was a lot of hype around him and he's sort of, I wouldn't say necessarily living up to it, but he's showing us, okay, there's something here. And uh, he is definitely making a statement possibly to partner Sean Johnson in in the halves next year, although Harris DeVita is still going to be there. Um, But the way things are looking in terms of the Warriors and they're apparently throwing money at Manu and, um, and Dylan Brown, that Harris DeVita might not be in their plans or O'Sullivan either, really, when you look at it that way. But, yeah, just in this game, uh, O'Sullivan was solid. But, yeah, for me, the big wrecking ball, Adam Fanua Blake's just tremendous. Yeah. Um, what, what can we say about this game? We've said it's nothing different what I'm going to say about every other Bulldogs game. And like you said about Barrett, the concern is, and, and some of our, our good friends uh, and friend of the show, Gumpy, who uh, I might even try to see if we can a computer up and get on in the next couple of weeks <laughs> is um, quite critical of the Bulldog. But they're attacking decisions. Like, there is no decisions. I don't know what they train for. There's no set yeah. plays. There's no kicks to anyone. There's no – there's just nothing. Uh, and I don't know if they've – really, I don't know if they've just put – Gabriel's just gone, why bother? Because I'm going to start again next year. Whether he doesn't know where they're all going to get the next year and it's going to – they're all going to fall off a cliff. Yeah, well, I, I said it before the season kicked off that I didn't think Barrett was much of a coach considering what he did at Manly and he's done nothing to prove me wrong so far. Um, as I said, like, their only tries come to Ockenball, which was he had the ball and there was nobody around. There was He had 20 metres of space. Like, all the Warriors are compressed and charged in on the middle of the field. There was They were, they were never going to stop him. It was just catch and pass. And the other try was an intercept. And then he's whinging about, you know, like... I'm not sure. He, I think he might have just clipped him on the chin, but it probably wasn't a penalty. But even then, they got the ball back and they scored in the corner and it got taken off him. And he's saying that that cost them the game. They were still going to be behind even after that try. Yeah. They're going to need to find another try. 
which they didn't look like scoring a try all game, apart from Aaron Shoot when he intercepted the ball and ran 60 metres the other way. So, yeah, they've got their attack. Considering he was the attack coach for Penrith when they were tearing teams apart, uh, yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because I remember earlier this year uh, when a good friend of ours, uh, Blocky, came on. No, sorry, not Blocky, uh, Johnny. When Johnny came on because he's had, I believe, stuff to do with Penrith in the past and there were, there were all these talks about how, you know, it was actually Barrett who really coached Penrith to the grand final because he was the attacking coach and he was working with the halves. And I remember Johnny saying, Barrett did sweet FA. It was, to his credit, pretty much all Cleary right. Cleary. Yeah. Uh, and Serrata. Nathan Cleary. Serrata's, yeah. Serrata, yeah, of course. But, um, but, but I've heard from other Barrett, people who yeah. know similar things. Yeah, and well, you just have to look, you know, particularly people bepraising him. Oh, how, look at the work he, he's done with Nathan Cleary and Jerome Law. How are the Bulldogs halves going this year? Exactly. Well, and just just been... have a look at it. Considering that their forward pack has been oh, at least half of the games that they've played, they've matched the opposition. Yeah, they haven't been yeah. better than them, but they've given them a decent foothold for their halves to take control 100%. and for black lines to run their plays and score points, and they've scored fuck all points all year. And he, he was given, and he's got a, I would call it, I, I was predicting this day to be a, the breakout forward pack of the comp. It's not quite that, but it's not, it's, a, it's, it's, strong it's better than the yeah. Cowboys. It's better than, it's as good as. Sharks. Sharks. Sharks is probably Tigers on their day. Knights uh, on their day. Yeah. As good as, I would say. Um, and there, he's been given a completely raw gem in Flanagan to, to do something with that we know he's got something, whether it's as a structured player or whether got some it's structure, not. Yeah. Um and they've and he, he dropped him after what, three weeks, four weeks. <laughs> so I don't I I am he's starting to feel a little bit uh AOB for me. But anyway. Mm. Um we Don't get me wrong, like I was pissed off at the, the Sharks fucking the decisions in the Sharks game, but I'm still not gonna turn around and say they cost the, the Sharks the game and we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But they made it fucking hard, but yeah. they didn't cost the Sharks a game. They uh, anyway. It, just, uh, it gets me when coaches come out and blame the rest for the reason they lose when you've fucking you've created no points in the entire eighty minutes of football. And, but, and <laughs> I I, um, I did love honestly during the week. Uh, actually coming out on the front foot and saying, hang on, <laughs> the average missed tackles is 30 a game. The average is an out. Is anyone and ever going to shit coaching? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. No, the was... averages he used were all the Bulldogs' yeah. averages, which was quite quite funny, I yeah, thought. So that was a cracker from uh, Annesley. So good on him. <laughs> I uh, had Curran with three points in this one. I gave Jackson two just because he works his ass off every week. And then I had one point for either Ewan Aitken or uh, Tavanga. Yeah, I'm happy with... That and Aitken, but um, Ollie, if you've got any different, I'm happy with Aitken Reece, too. Reece Walsh, I suppose, got to be there, but yeah. realistically, we should be giving um all six points to Josh Jackson because not only does he do the work on the field, I hear that every week he's actually the one who drives to the airport when Luke Thompson's about to get on the plane back to St <laughs> Helens to convince him to turn <laughs> no, around and come no, back no, and play next week. <laughs> if if this Bulldogs team with all this hype don't don't make the finals next year. I'd be very surprised if Barrett has a job. Flanagan might end up in charge of them. Quite possibly. Possibly, and I hope they don't make the finals next year. In fact, I hope they don't finish ninth. They can finish 10th. <laughs> they're they're going to have such <laughs> ridiculous expectations, and he's going to be yeah, in front of will. these press conferences. Every time they get beat, 
probably in similar fashion to now, and he'll have the same whinging arguments. And it's, um, yeah, I, I would be concerned. I, they played better footy under Dean Payne. At least they knew what they were. They did. They knew 100% they, they had did. to turn up, bust their ass, and just tackle lots, and they used to do it. Even with Burton there, they're still going to need a controlling half, which is a concern for me. Yep. So. All right. Uh, the Knights 16 beat the Sharks 14. I don't know if this was another instant classic, but what the stats say? <laughs> no, definitely wasn't. Both teams did their best to lose this game. It was two tries from both teams, two out of two conversions from the Sharks, one out of two from uh, Newcastle, one one out of one penalties for the Sharks and three out of three for Newcastle. 81% completion played 86. 34 out of 42 sets played 36 out of 42. Three line breaks for the Sharks, two for Newcastle. 24 tackle busts to 34. 10 offloads to 11. Zero force dropouts to two. Uh, no, there wasn't a 40-20 kicked in any game this, I'm pretty sure, any game this weekend. Uh, 383 tackles played 324. 34 I've already done miss tackles with tackle bus. One ruck infringement to four, zero inside the 10 for both teams, which is confusing considering the Sharks copped about five penalties for being offside, I thought. Nine penalties conceded to four, eight errors to nine, Rudolph with 59 tackles, and Jaden Braley with 50, Kennedy with 170 metres, Ponga with 184. Trindle missed five tackles out of 20 and the forward pack again missed 17 tackles between the starting five. Ponga missed four tackles, made two. And Tawala missed three tackles and made two. Ramian with 90 supercoach points. Nakora with 82 and Clemmer with 72. What did I say? Another tough watch for a Sharks fan. I've spent 30 years of three decades of my life being disappointed by this team. So it's not unusual. Imagine being a um, Melbourne fan. Like what must life be like? <laughs> Neither team really deserved to win this. I thought the Sharks were probably slightly the better team. Um, as I mentioned before, I don't think the, the ref cost us the game, but made it pretty difficult. The one big bugbear was the one where they got, you got pushed back into the, um, back into the in goal. He called held as soon as yeah. he got tackled. You know what I mean? Like it, they had every right to push him back in the end goal and the Knights go down the other end and take a penalty, which puts them in front. So, yeah, what do you say? But anyway, um, Sharks just weren't weren't good enough. Um, it's I've mentioned, I don't know how many times I've mentioned it. I'm sure everyone's bored with me mentioning it, but their first up defence is poor. Um, generally, when a forward runs straight into that pack, he bounces off the first tackle and keeps running. So that needs to stop if the Sharks are going to go anywhere. Um, and their attack really didn't have a lot of direction in this game, to be honest, apart from when either Braley, young Braley got out and started running from dummy half, which he, he made some really good runs in this game and actually got us on the front foot. Or they try to put Kennedy or a back rower into space. That's basically all the Sharks have got without Sean Johnson. And... Um, Trindle's not Trindle's not a half. He's more of a runner. He just either runs. He, he doesn't think about what he's doing. He just does it. He just runs or he kicks or he doesn't actually think about what he's trying to set. He doesn't try to set anything up. And it it's, um, it cruels the attack a lot, to be honest. Um, just, yeah, just too many missed tackles. Barnett was probably the Knights' best player. Jacob Saifidi's effort upon effort was Really good from a big man. The way he just continually backed up and put in effort after effort was brilliant. Watson added the spark that and unpredictability that the Sharks could have used um, to take this game away. But, 
Yeah, um, Ramian, as much as he's a great ball runner, the, the fact that he he'll step seven times on the same blade of grass just seems to slow down the Sharks attack at times. Sometimes it's great and it creates a line break, but a lot of the time he runs around in circles, beats one bloke four times, and then you get a slow play of the ball. <laughs> and then what do you do after that? So um, Pierce and Ponga had some nice touches. Uh, they were pretty steady and sort of set up. The, when they were needed, they they sort of, you know, they, they made the play that was needed at the time and they got them to where they needed to go. Clemmer was pretty good. Um, Rudolph and Williams were strong again, but... As I said, I don't think either team really deserved to win this game. I would have been happy if it was a 14-all draw. And <laughs> it's funny because that penalty was, what, seven and a half minutes to go or something. It, it was a fair way out. But yeah. watching it, I just went, okay, that's a game. Because yeah. neither team felt like they were going to score. Neither team had any inclination of scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought both teams' attacks were pretty ordinary. Mitchell Pierce yep. uh, was probably the better of all the halves. Uh but yep. it's – and for all this hype about Bradman Best, I thought him the, the matchup with him and Ramey and probably shows you exactly where they're both at. That's just their level. They'll both beat up some shitty edge defences, which we talked about earlier. But they're they're not, big enough, strong enough. They're not um, Latrell Mitchell. They're not – They're not superstars. Um, and, and that's where they're at. So this talk of Bradman Best being the next Australian centre and stuff, he's a long way off that. Um, Mitch Barnett, best game in a long time. He was actually yep. pretty good. Uh, you've summed everything up. I don't have much more to add that we have. One on one steal was probably a crucial moment as well. Probably one in the game. I'd say yeah. actually probably won the game, and then Metcalf deciding to then kick the ball one on one at the end of the game lost. Yeah, it, so good. was that straight into that a half? That's one of the good. plays of the day. It was last try wins in the schoolyard. At um, no, he was just playing touch recess. footy, mate. That's, yeah. I think that's what that guy is. To be honest, um, yeah. I know he hasn't had a lot of football, but he's just he's a pure touch footy player. That uh, Luke Metcalf, by the looks of it. So. Ollie, you're champion at the pit. Yeah, just with Cronulla, I've said in recent weeks, I've brought it up how usually at least they have one, one of their forwards has a really good game or one one or two of them do and it's, it doesn't always get them the win, but usually it's good enough. I thought at least Williams was all right, but at least the starting forward pack, they were just probably some of their worst games of the season. And even if one of them had a, a blinder, like at least one of them has for most of the year, then they probably win this game. But yeah. the Fords were just offering up nothing, in my opinion. On um, Mitch Barnett, now who is – I've honestly had a mind blank and deservedly so because who's the bloke, <laughs> the geek we've been um, all year and last year as well who gets pot plan every second week for Newcastle, didn't play, Fitzgibbon. <laughs> he was playing like Fitzgibbon for a bit. And to me, it's like in the schoolyard <laughs> – it's like, sorry, in the classroom, you know, when you have two kids sitting together, one of them's the naughty kid and he's influencing the good kid to be bad. Barnett must have been sitting next to Fitzgibbon at, um, at the video sessions or something. And O'Brien's just ended up going, right, up, up, up the front now, Mitch Barnett. You'll <laughs> stay away from him. <laughs> it's worked. So, right. there's, there's, mate, there's issues. That if Newcastle were based in metropolitan Sydney, they'd be under so much scrutiny because. There's been the Mitch Pierce thing, there's been the Fitzgibbon thing, there's been the uh, other Ford, um, the, the other punch-up at training thing. Watson's left, uh, up and left. King's up and left this week. Uh, someone else is about to go. I don't know if... And apparently Ponga's very, very unhappy that Watson's gone, but whatever that whatever that means. Uh, so 
that's the next interesting thing for Newcastle because they're going to be have to get rid of either offer Ponga a million bucks as well, or he'll end up somewhere in Sydney. Well, it, it's interesting you bring up how there's not as much media scrutiny because the Knights aren't in Sydney. But I also think they have, because it is that sort of one-town team mentality, but it's a bit different to Brisbane because I've noticed Newcastle fans, for the most part, they're never critical of their team. They they back their team no matter what, sort of, as a whole. And it's a bit to their detriment because, yeah, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll make the finals this year. They could beat Parramatta in week one, but then they'll be out. There's no real... Um, there's no real pressure even from from the fan base for, for this team to do be better and put a bit of pressure on them, in my opinion, because you look at Parramatta, I mean, we know one para fan in particular who's uh, not happy with them at the moment and just as a whole. But you never see that with Newcastle. Like, even when they were coming last every year, there was always the plan, they'll get better, et cetera. And but yeah, some of, their, some their, of their performances this year, if you looked at single games, how a team performed would be the worst in the comp. We said, we've said that. All the way Close through. To it. Well, you look at Dave, anyone in the bottom eight, to be honest, there's been like there's been times this year where the Tigers, the Sharks, the Knights, Canberra have been absolutely fucking woeful. Yeah. And those four teams are still a chance to make the fucking top eight. Chuck the Titans in there as well. There's been games yeah. where they look, didn't look like they could beat anybody. Well, the Sharks got beaten by the dogs, for fuck's sake. Like, that's an indictment yeah. on uh, there being a top eight. They should only yeah. be at best a top six and probably a top yeah. five. Um, Wolf, uh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say this year, looking from seventh, seventh down, and obviously your Broncos and your Bulldogs, obviously, but I think there's been at least one point throughout the season for each of those clubs from seventh down where I thought this team might finish in the bottom four. Yeah, like 100%. for each and every one of them, there have been periods where they've looked crap, and I think well, yeah, even Manly looked like they were going to finish last after the first four or five yeah. weeks, and now yeah. they're going to fucking finish fourth. I remember sitting here <laughs> six weeks ago saying Ricky should be sacked on the spot after Canberra. There's, we were O'Brien should have been sacked four times. They're, we've been through all that, um, and and to flip that with Fitzgibbon, Fitzgibbon coming in, uh, Hines, uh, Guinness, Finucane. Mm. Uh, whoever else have signed, they've signed, they've had the best signing spree of the year and a Sprute coach. Still got a some of these blokes, well, I mean, some but, of these blokes, mm. are they first grade? Will they be first graders next year? They're not playing like they want to be next year. And what does it mean for them? Well, considering the hype on Magulius at the start of the year, he doesn't look like he belongs in first grade at the moment. No. I know he's been given very limited opportunities, but he doesn't look like he's going to be a first grader. Um, this bloke, obviously, Woods is on the way out. Tolman's a question mark, depending on who you can get in to replace him um, as a bench forward, maybe, but probably not as a starter. Um, yeah, so there's plenty of question marks there, man. Yeah. Plenty. Anyway, let's wrap up that review, get to our, which I've done no preparation for. Do you have a pot plant of the week? I am just going to, for old time's sake, it might be the last time we had to do it, and we did predict it on the preview show, Jared Croker. <laughs> nice. I actually haven't done this. There was one that fucking stood out to me. I'm just trying to remember fucking who it was. Ollie, you get one, my Barney. Well, I'm actually going to make us go two from two because that's right. I remember in last week's show, we predicted that he was going to be a pot plant. So I've got to back that up and I've got to agree with you. Jared Croker. Yeah. And I know he got uh, injured and whatever, but 10 minutes in that game, he'd already missed three tackles. He's got absolutely bumped off. And then to make no effort to try and stop Melbourne down that edge was pot plant material. Uh, honorary pot plant mention, why Barney's looking for Corey Harira Naira, who 
who after finding six weeks of red, red hot form, say the past couple of weeks, yeah, has just forgotten how to play football. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, back on Croker for a moment. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but if he wasn't in contention for the top point scorer of all time, I don't think he plays more than one or two games for Canberra this year, realistically, because that that's the only reason why he's there, so that he can try and get that accolade. Which we'll, we'll put it this way: in terms of how many years he's got left on his contract, I think maybe one year or so it's possible for him to break that record. But if Canberra is smart, he, they don't play him again just about unless there's injuries. Yeah, I can't even... I, actually, it was Herbert. It was Herbert <laughs> from the Titans. He had an absolute fucking nightmare of a night. I know he was getting run out by some of the best attack in the, in the competition, but he got turned inside out that many times and made a couple of bad errors as well as missing tackles left, right and centre. So. That, fair enough. And your slap of the week, Barney. Oh, that's, it has to be. I'd give it to Trindle, to be honest. Um, as he's had a fair bit of hype coming through, he's um, he's obviously got a, a little bit of talent there, but he really needs to get his head in the game of football. Um, he doesn't think about what he's doing, and he just runs off the top of his head, and it's not good enough at NRL level. So, Ollie. I'm going to go David Fafita, obviously. As I said before, up against South Sydney, we're going to get flogged anyway, whatever. But my slap is going to be, I'm slapping him from the bench onto the field because he needs to be starting against Melbourne. And also, uh, like a little bit of a, come on, you need need to be putting in a bit more than that. Um, The effort that he gave against South Sydney as well, especially against Melbourne. And I I imagine that if I was to slap David Fafita, um, I would not be alive to um, to tell the tale. So Quite possibly, no, maybe you would. Uh, seems like a friendly fella. <laughs> My slap, and it's taken me twenty two rounds, but he finally broke me. He's Brayton Astor. His commentary is absolutely <laughs> unlistenable. His anal- his analysis on Friday night was the worst I've ever heard in a game of rugby. Like he wasn't even watching the same game. Uh, it was disgraceful. And then Sunday, I ended up putting it on Channel Nine because I couldn't handle it anymore. That's how bad it was. Uh, so it's taken me 22 rounds, but he finally has broken me. I don't know how he's on four nights a week for Fox, uh, plus the golf, plus whatever else. He is abysmal. I'll I, second that. I can't listen to him. Um, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Fox ended up picking up Peter Sterling and then we'd see what happens there because he's yeah. good. Uh, because I know, obviously, he's quit. He's stepping down from Channel 9. But I do get the feeling a bit as well because there are reports that there was a, a younger, yeah. a younger broadcast team. Brabs is going to finish up at the end of this year, then call Origin one for his hundredth Origin. They're not re-signing Wally Lewis, so it, it seems to me that okay, he's he's probably stepped down before he was asked to leave, and I think he could be very valuable to Fox. I remember his his old show, Sterlo on the Couch on Fox was just about the best um, half hour yeah. of non-rugby league content, in my opinion, that um, Fox were putting out each week. And funnily enough, I think Brave was actually one of the, the co-hosts on that show. And that just, <laughs> that goes to show how how good Sterling is. But if you put Sterling in that Braith role though, that along with, you know, you Cooper Cross. I'd cop that Jimmy every Gaines, day of the week. I'd that, enjoy that's that. That's a very yeah. good team, yeah. Uh, and But there's also the suggestion that Channel 9 aren't, overly going to push as hard as they might for to retain the right. So we'll see how it all pans out. There might, yeah. be, a, there might be a whole team looking for... Looking Bring back Graham Hughes to Channel 10. 
I'm going to salute for the first time this year a West Tigers front rower, and I'm going to salute Stefano Utukamano because he has been playing out of his skin. I flagged him, yeah, 12 months ago, and I've been loving what he's been doing for the last three or four weeks. And the, this game this week, he was a massive difference in the Tigers winning this game. So, I agree with that. I'm going to salute. Uh, I'm actually going to salute, as I said earlier, uh, Daly Cherry Evans. He's probably much maligned and has a storied history and is a Queensland captain, but he's a pretty good footballer. And he doesn't get saluted enough in the shadow, so going to go with that. And wrap us, take us home, Ollie, and who's yours? Yeah, so, so uh, well, first things first, I'm going to salute Josh Jackson for the effort he put out on the weekend, but I'm going to salute the Josh Jackson-Luke Thompson combination for the whole season, for the effort they've been putting in. The NRL need to implement something. We've been talking about loans, right? And, you know, young players or players who aren't being used, being loaned out. There needs to come a time where the NRL intervene and say, you need to loan these blokes out for the rest of the season. So, because this is borderline. Just, just, let, just let Josh train with Melbourne for a week. Yeah. <laughs> like, imagine, like, for the rest of the year, Luke Thompson just a loan deal to Melbourne for the finals or something. For, for obvious reasons, I'm joking. This, yeah, yeah should not happen. But, uh, yeah, poor buggers. Very good. All right, Ollie, Barney, we'll wrap this up. That's been our Around 22 review show, and we'll be back very shortly with the preview.